0: Hello, this is Aaron Wren. Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Denny Burke. He's an associate pastor at Kenwood Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. He's a professor at Boyce College and Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he's also the president of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, which is apropos of our discussion today, because we are going to be talking about renewed Debates over gender roles in the Southern Baptist Convention and elsewhere. So, Denny, thank you very much for joining.
1: Thank you so much for having me on, Aaron. It's great to be here.
0: Before we get into it, I would just note that the uh, Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood's website is cbmw.org, and you should also subscribe to the YouTube channel here, hit the like button, and if you're not subscribed to my newsletter yet, go to aaronrenn.com, that's a-a-r-o-n-r-e-n-n.com, and sign up. So, Denny, maybe just very briefly give a capsule summary of what the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood is, because some people might not know it.
1: Yeah, CBMW was formed back in 1987. Uh, A lot of people know that John Piper and Wayne Grudem were instrumental in that initial effort, but there was a handful of others who came together in 1987 to really state a put down a statement of principles about what they believe about manhood and womanhood. And a lot of what they were saying was a direct response to what was happening in the 80s, which was second wave feminism in full swing from the 70s and 80s. And by the 1980s, it had really begun to influence evangelicalism. And so they wanted to say, look, what does the Bible really say about manhood and womanhood? And we need to reassert that. And we need to encourage churches and ministries to believe it. And so they came up with this statement called the Danvers Statement, and it's called the Danvers Statement because they just they were meeting in Danvers, Massachusetts when uh, when, when they, they put this down. And um, they they based a new organization on the Danvers Statement, and the Danvers Statement basically teaches what we now call complementarianism. At the time, the word complementarianism didn't exist. When the, So the, the doctrine was formed before the word uh, to name it was formed, but the doctrine was basically that men and women are created equally in the image of God, have equal value and worth, but nevertheless, they're different. God has created them with distinct callings so that a husband is called to be the head of his home and a wife is called to be the helper within that relationship. And then there's an extension of that within the church, the leadership of the church in that only qualified uh, men are called to um, headship roles within the church, which would be leadership roles within the, the church, at least leadership roles that, that have to do with the whole congregation. So uh, so men and women are both qualified and called and gifted for ministry, but only men would be called as as pastors in, in, in our tradition, in, in the Southern Baptist tradition, it would be pastors. Um, so that, that's essentially what uh, CBMW was all about. It was not a Southern Baptist thing. It was an interdenominational thing, um, but Danvers was written to accommodate a whole range of different. Uh, traditions fast forward 30 years and the issues that the evangelical churches are facing a lot different Um, people aren't debating as much anymore who could be a man or who could be a pastor who
0: all right welcome back
1: yeah sorry uh i lost you there for a minute
0: no it's quite all right i think we actually got through and maybe people online heard it we'll see we'll see We basically got through the the gist of CBMW and the Danver Statement and gender roles. And I think it's interesting that there are two separate aspects of distinctiveness among the complementarian system that have to do with gender roles in the home and gender roles in the church. And it's not necessary to have the same conclusion on both, although almost everyone does. There are some interesting cases where people don't. That's true. Uh, But the main debates that seem to be hitting these churches today is around uh, the pastoral roles in the church. This is one that uh, remained in open dispute after CBMW was created. There were essentially two camps, your camp, the complementarian camp, and the other camp being egalitarian, which said, you know, women can be pastors. And there'd sort of been this steady state division almost for quite a while. But now it seems like these things are coming back to the fore as an active subject to debate. And particularly recently in the Southern Baptist Convention, there were some really interesting developments uh, in the last two years. One was around uh, Rick Warren and Saddleback Church. Uh, Obviously, he's a super big name, uh, pastor, sold tens of millions of books, huge church, very influential didn't know they were Southern Baptists, but apparently they were. And uh, they appointed several female pastors. And in fact, I think they appointed a husband-wife duo of senior pastors to be his successors. He uh, actively affirmed female pastors. And so it was a question of whether he, he would be allowed to be in the SBC or not. And there was a big <clears throat> debate about that. And then there's a debate over this thing called the law amendment, which would essentially make the SBCs tighten up the SBC's governing document to uh, essentially make it clear that situations like the Saddleback thing aren't allowed. Now, that was my interpretation. But why don't you give us a a, kind of a capsule summary of what's really going on there and how you see this issue? Because it seems like the idea of can women be pastors is a live issue in the SBC today.
1: Well, it's really interesting because the Rick Warren situation and the, the Saddleback controversy was really a clarifying moment for the SBC. And it was really a moment where Southern Baptist said, you know, we're, this is not the direction that we're going to go at all. And it's interesting because at Saddleback, we actually had two different churches that were removed because of having female pastors. One of them was Saddleback. Another one was a church called Fern Creek, which is actually here in Louisville, Kentucky. The one here in Louisville, Kentucky had a, a female senior pastor and in, at Rick Warren's church, the senior pastor is actually Andy Wood, who is, um, you know, a man, obviously. And then his wife is a teaching pastor. But as I understand it, though, that's still an associate position, but she's one of the main teachers of the church. So the two churches that we were dealing with were, were not exactly the same. One of them had a female senior pastor. One of them had a female pastor a variety of female associate pastors, some of them holding primary uh, teaching positions. And the Southern Baptist Convention looked at that and said, that's not commensurate with what our faith statement says. You know, our faith statement says that while men and women are both um, gifted for ministry, only um, men as qualified by Scripture can be pastors. And so the Southern Baptist Convention said that neither one of those fit. So you have one with a senior pastor and one with a variety of associate pastors. And they said that, that that's not going to work. And it was not close. Uh, it, was, it was actually the, the votes were over, overwhelming. Uh, for Saddleback, it was 88, about 88% of the messengers said that um, they couldn't remain. And then uh, for uh, Fern Creek, it was uh, 90 plus percent uh, said the same thing. So they, they weren't close they weren't particularly close. So it it was a, it was kind of a landmark moment because, you know, in spite of all the controversies we were having, it wasn't very controversial on those two churches as to what the right thing was to do. And, and so the Baptist showed that just in the way that they vote, they voted. Now, what was really surreal was, you know, after, you know, a couple of decades since the Baptist faith and message uh, came into being, which was uh, our, our our denomination statement of faith that came about in 2000. everybody has always viewed the Baptist faith and message as sort of putting to rest this issue um but it it was really surreal to realize you know for a lot of people out there this issue has not been put to rest and we had two people uh Rick Warren and then the pastor of Fern Creek both stand on the floor of the convention and make the case for female pastors and they in no uncertain terms said, basically just said that our confessional statement was wrong, uh, which is fine. Um, you know, you can you don't have to believe with our, you know, agree with our confessional statement to be you know some sort of a Christian. But they were arguing that it was wrong and that we needed to change, um, not that they needed to change or reconsider or th- that we needed to change. So it was th- that was a, a bracing moment to, to see that on the floor of the convention, because that is very, very unusual in Southern Baptist life.
0: What about this amendment, uh, which seems to be much more controversial, uh, which this Pastor Mike Law put forward that would essentially make it clear automatically that you cannot be uh, part of the SBC in friendly cooperation with the SBC if you have female pastors? I believe this passed by a significant margin as well, though not as high. And it would have to be passed again to take effect. But this is one that has been opposed very strongly by a number of big name people in the SBC, including J.D. Greer, uh, Ed Litton, people who were like former presidents of the SBC, large prominent pastors are basically taking a very hard line against this. Uh, what is going on with that and why are they so opposed to this if indeed 80-90% of SBC's on board with male only pastorate.
1: Now I've gone on the record and said publicly that I'm in favor of this amendment. In fact, at the last convention, I was one of the ones who rose to speak in favor of it on the floor of the convention. So I I have been for this amendment. Uh, But I want to clarify though, a couple of things though. First of all, what does the amendment say? It, what it does is it adds an article. It it adds a phrase to article three of our constitution that says uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but um, that only men who are qualified by scripture can serve as any kind of pastor within cooperating Southern Baptist churches. That That's what it says. So it's not a substantive theological change from what our uh, BFNM already says. And it's it's not um, it, there's no change there. OK, it's just it's just clarifying something. So th- and that's the second thing that I want to say here. Um we actually don't need the amendment to do what we need to do when it comes to um, fielding referrals concerning churches with female pastors. Um, we, we have everything that we need right now if we needed to to remove a church who was you know out of step with what um, Southern Baptists believe. It, it that's proven by the fact that we just removed Saddleback and Fern Creek and this amendment is still not finalized. So you, we we can do what we need to do when that happens. The only reason that we have the amendment was because Saddleback was brought to the convention over a, a year ago at the previous convention in Anaheim, California. And at the time, the credentials committee said it wasn't clear to them what pastor means in our statement of faith. They thought that pastor could maybe it just means senior pastor and that women should be allowed to serve in other pastoral roles. And so they they didn't they, they we really should have dealt with with Saddleback a year ago but didn't because the credentials committee were unsure about what they thought pastor meant. So the whole reason for the Mike Law amendment was to say, well, here's what it means. Okay, now th- that's already clear in the Baptist Faith and Message. You shouldn't need this amendment to know this because everybody, anybody who knows anything about Baptist ecclesiology knows that Baptists have always regarded pastor elder overseer three terms in the new testament for uh, the leadership position with the church uh, baptists have always regarded those terms as three ways of referring to the same office so any person who has the title of pastor is an elder is an overseer is an overseer and would be subject to all of the qualifications for that office which means husband of one wife Uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.12, I don't allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. So there wouldn't be a pastoral position that would be exempted from the qualifications for pastor. But apparently some thought that there were, that some people serving in associate pastor positions, um, that it would be fine for them to be pastors. And so the only reason for the amendment was to clarify really what was already there, because some folks uh didn't see it. Um for me it was never unclear. Um so for for me this is the, the amendment is not for me, it's for those people who thought that this was unclear. Um uh, but I think what what we already have is it, it is clear. Um but I'm happy for an amendment like this to come along to make that abundantly clear to everyone else. Now it's become more controversial because some people think well this is just going to be used as some sort of an inquisition against uh women serving as associate at a variety of associate pastor positions within the convention uh, so women serving as um you know children's pastor or uh women's pastor something like something like that where you know according to complementarian the- theology it may not be a role that is contrary to what scripture would call gifted women to do that they just have the wrong title and so a lot of these guys are saying hey we, we, don't, we don't need to go after those, those churches, and that's why it's become controversial.
0: So in your view, it sounds like it's okay for a woman to be a children's pastor, but it probably shouldn't be described as a pastoral role. It's not really what you mean when you say a pastor. It's more like a name that's maybe been inappropriately given to a particular title that should have been called something else
1: yeah but here's the thing Aaron the 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 titles are important hmm. um the the, the the titles matter um biblically theologically so I I'm fully willing to recognize that within the Southern Baptist Convention there there's a there's a lot of churches that have female associates with pastor in their title and what I think has happened there I you know I've grown up Southern Baptist. I've been looking at Southern Baptist for a long time we had female ministers on staff all growing up. I mean, th- that's not a new thing in Southern Baptist life. Um, you know, my own home church, we had a, a female children's minister. But, you know, in the way that Southern Baptists typically have described those roles, those associate roles for non-pastoral positions were minister. You know, that, that's a perfectly legitimate bi- Bible way to describe people serving with their gifts within the church. You know, a women's minister or a women's, uh, a children's minister, something like that. But what's happened somewhere in the 2000s, maybe 2010s, you begin to see a little bit of concept creep around this term pastor to where a pastor is no longer referring to the leadership role within a New Testament church, but it's now just anybody who does any kind of discipleship ministry. Biblically, that's not what a pastor is. All Christians are called to do the Great Commission and to make disciples of the nations. Men, women, all of us are called to that. But not every person who's called to do the work of the Great Commission is called to be a pastor. A pastor has a, a pastor is a shepherd. Um, the Bible, in fact, the word pastor is coming from the Bible's term for shepherd. And the shepherd has a responsibility not for portions of the flock, but for the entire flock right? You, in other words, if one sheep goes away, you go get that one sheep because you're responsible for all of them. So the orientation of a pastor, senior, associate, or otherwise, is that they have a responsibility and accountability to lead and to provide instruction for the entire flock. And so it matters if you're in a church and you have someone who's not really serving in that kind of role where they're responsible for, they're going to give an account for leading and shepherding the entire flock, but you're giving them the title of that. It confuses people about what a pastor is and it's not commensurate with Southern Baptist ecclesiology. So, you know, I know a lot of people are worried that there'll be an inquisition over this. I don't see there being an inquisition over this. I certainly don't want an inquisition over, you know, uh, you know, women who are otherwise complementarian, but they just have the title wrong. I would just rather see those churches change the titles. It's not, it's not a hard fix if if that's not your conviction it's not hard to 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 call your children's pastor a children's minister if that's truly what they're called to be so um so i don't want an inquisition i I hope it would be a teaching moment for those churches but for other churches that were you know like Saddleback and Fern Creek where no convictionally they believe that women should be serving as pastors and they should have the title and the function of a pastor well, yeah, that's not consistent with what Southern Baptists believe, and that, that would end up being an issue at some point.
0: I want to pan back from the SBC situation specifically and talk about a broader context, because for several years, I have really thought that complementarian gender theology was going to come under a lot of pressure. we You're right a, about that. We've had a tremendous sea change in the last 10 years. Uh, in sort of social thinking on sexuality and gender. Uh, The whole idea of complementarian and egalitarian both essentially presuppose a gender binary, that there's men and there's women. Uh, But today that's essentially repudiated by elite society, which says gender is essentially a spectrum, it's a social construct, it's all these things. And as essentially the, the sexual revolution rolled on and things moved much further in a left direction, I anticipated that this was going to pull people from the complementarian camp to the left because these new changes create a space to essentially be a quote-unquote conservative who is now an egalitarian who affirms a gender binary. And if you look at sort of political conservatism, social conservatism over time, it has sort of incrementally been pulled with like a 10 or 20-year delay In the direction of the culture. And I saw a very interesting kind of development in that, uh, in the strategy that Tim Keller had put together uh, over the last couple years before he died, talking about what he thought the church ought to do in the future. Tim Keller was someone who would have been convictionally complementarian and would have viewed that not as a, you know, a first order issue, but seemed to put something of a premium on complementarianism as a boundary marker uh, of the kinds of people he could work with in some forums, like the Gospel Coalition, which was a constitutionally uh, complementarian organization that he co-founded. And and as he co-founded it, he wrote complementarianism into the, the governing documents of that. Well, his new strategy basically says we should be more willing to partner with egalitarians. We should create a more of a centrist movement that finds ways to partner with these more conservative leaning egalitarians who affirm a gender binary, uh, for example, and aren't, you know, ex-evangelicals or post-evangelicals. We need to find ways to work with them in this new environment. One of the ways we should respond to this new environment is having a more open posture towards them. And then I saw earlier this year, That Russell Moore, who was formerly in the SBC, ran one of the agencies there. Now editor Christianity Today, basically put forth a, a, a nearly identical vision. He says, "I repent of the old Russell Moore, who said Christianity was patriarchal and stuff like that. And now I want to be more aligned with Beth Moore. I want to be more centrist. I'm not. He's not abandoning complementarianism, but what he's saying is, I would rather work with these conservative egalitarians." then I would would want to work with the old Russell Moore, uh, who was writing these things years ago. And so there's there's this this idea of a self-consciously centrist movement. Obviously, Keller is enormously influential. And I'm curious what you think of this. Is this something that am I reading too much into this, that there is sort of a move afoot to, for some people, not all, some people to essentially not abandon complementarianism per se, but downgrade its significance as an issue and to say, we need to be more in partnership with these egalitarian people we previously would not have worked with.
1: I think, I do think that you're onto something there. And I think that what's key for listeners to understand is that as you're seeing pressures from the culture to move towards a more egalitarian position, People who are complementarian aren't just automatically going to say, okay, I'm complementarian today, tomorrow I think I'll be egalitarian. That's not the way that this is going to happen, okay? What you're going to see happen is you're going to see waystations along the way towards towards that. And one of those waystations is taking complementarianism and downgrading it, as you said, to an issue of lesser importance, to an issue that shouldn't define our fellowship and the people that we're willing to cooperate with. So a lot of folks, they're not going to say I'm an egalitarian. They're going to say I'm a complementarian. They're going to say, I think that men only should be pastors. And I think that husbands should lead their homes. But so they're going to continue saying that, but then they're going to say, I just don't think that that should be, that should define the basis of our cooperation with other Christians. That, that's what they're going to to say first. Now, that they're not that's it's not going to stay there. Eventually, people are going to say, well, wait a minute. Maybe we need to give more due regard to the substance of the view. But the way that you move toward it, first of all, is just to say, hey, this isn't an issue that should divide us at all. Now, I'm perfectly willing to say not willing, just have always said that this is a secondary issue. There's no question that the, the differences between complementarians and egalitarians are secondary in the sense that you can be a Christian and be wrong on this issue in w- one way or the other. Um, but having said that, that doesn't mean it's not an important issue. It's vi- a vital importance for the local church. And, and this is where you get down to brass tacks, because ground zero for the Great Commission in the world and for what God is doing in the world is the church. It's the local church. It's not the Gospel Coalition or T4G or any uh, or CBMW or any other kind of parachurch um, you know, entity within evangelicalism. Ground zero is the local church. And within a local church, you will either have female pastors or not. There's not an in-between position here. You will either have them or not. And if you partner with other churches like we do in the Southern Baptist Convention, to plant other churches and to do so across cultures and to do it domestically. Those churches you plant will either have female pastors or not. You will either baptize babies or not. Uh, There's a a host of secondary issues that there's no in between on. And if you're going to be on mission together, cooperating together towards that mission, you need to have some confessional unity on those secondary issues. So I don't know what it means to say um, we need to have a new openness to cooperate with egalitarians at the local church level or even at the denominational level. Churches and denominations have to have a position on this because that's going to define the kind of work that they do together. Now, can I go to a, this or that conference and there are some people that are to the left of me on the gender issue? Sure, but we're not planting churches together. We're not sending out missionaries together. You see what I'm saying there? So I'm going to go to the Evangelical Theological Society. I've been a member of that for, you know, close to two, two decades or more now. I'll be going there in November. There'll be a lot of egalitarians there, but we're not planning churches together. We may be in a session together, reading papers together, but we're, we're not doing church work together. And so it, it, when people talk about wanting to, you know, broaden the tent, I want to say, what tent are you standing under? If you're in a church you're going to have to have a position on this, and you can't hold it as as a third tier issue, about which we just otherwise agree to disagree. You will either have female pastors or not, um, and and that's just something that you're going to have to have um, declare with a certain amount of biblical conviction if you're going to be faithful in carrying forth the Great Commission.
0: If you look at the trends in other denominations that did appoint female pastors what you see is that the agree to disagree stage seems to ultimately lead to anyone who doesn't affirm female pastors gets kicked out. I'm a Presbyterian. That's what happened in the Presbyterian Church. I believe the Presbyterian Church allowed female ministers, pastors, uh, teaching elders, we would call them, in the 1930s. By the 1970s, there was a case in which a proposed candidate was denied ordination in the denomination Because he said he merely privately disagreed with women's ordination, even though he said he would actually personally ordain a woman in accordance with the PCUSA's constitution. Well, it wasn't the PCUSA at that time, but its predecessor. And that seems to be how it goes. And it's happened that way in in a number of cases. And once you adopt an accommodationist posture, it's very hard to then say, well, I'm not going to go any further. Which is why egalitarianism is even, you know, in worse trouble, in a sense, in that these egalitarians have been in the situation where they've been essentially aligned with the culture on gender issues. They've been able to be the quote unquote good guys or or, or good girls uh, on gender. They were they had the feminist position, basically, and now they're finding themselves out of sync. And when you've been in sync and now you're out of sync, it's going to be very, very difficult to say, no, I'm gonna stay right here and not go the rest of the way because there's tremendous social and psychological pressure that uh, gets brought to bear. And so I would say that these moves never stay where they are. Uh, I'm curious whether you see the SBC situation as relating to this bigger picture. Is this an example? I I tended to say, this looks like it's an example of people the people, especially those who are opposing the law amendment, who want to keep the door open to essentially uh, being a egal- more egalitarian friendly denomination over time and do not want to close that door in some legal sense. Again, I don't know what you know what their in- inner thoughts are as they're thinking about it, but yeah. when you look at the v- extremely hostile tone that people like J.D. Greer are taking about this law amendment, I'm like seems like there's probably something beyond this than some concerns about Inquisition.
1: Yeah. If you talk to JD, I mean, he's going to, he's going to tell you the same thing. He says, he said publicly, he's, he's a complimentarian and he actually doesn't think women should serve as pastors either in senior or associate roles. So he's, he's down the line on, on all of that. The, The real differences within the SBC have to do with prudential questions about what, 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 what are we going to be as a denomination? Are we going to be a denomination that partners together with churches that have female pastors or not? And there are some within our denomination who believe that we should be a, ch- a denomination that does partner with churches that have female pastors. Just so long as they're not senior pastors, they can be pastors in any other area. They just, they just don't need to be some sort of a senior pastor. And what the case that I'm trying to make is, is that that's, that's not a tenable position for Southern Baptists. Um, it, it, it'd be better to not state any position at all than to state the wrong position that we're going to base cooperation um, on something that's essentially an an, an error. Um, so, so I, I do think that there. This is a critical time for the SBC. I just think that we need to we need to have uh, integrity with what we say we believe in our official documents. And, you know, if uh, I'm supporting the law amendment, I hope the law amendment passes. But even if it weren't uh, to pass for the second year in a- Indianapolis next year, I would still want to have that. In- I would still want some vehicle to maintain the integrity of our uh, confessional statement. And I would want to let I would not want to let that that drop. Uh, but that's where I see the the debate going within the SBC. There are going to be some who say, let's create a structure that allows cooperation with churches that have female pastors. And there's going to be some that say, no, we shouldn't do that. And uh, there's not going to really be an an in-between position on on those two points. So uh, we'll see how it shakes out. I just know that after New Orleans, which is where we just had our most recent meeting in June, the messengers didn't really seem to signal any interest in moving in an egalitarian direction. Um, I would be very surprised if they signaled that interest in Indianapolis next year. But uh, we'll see when we get there.
0: Great. Are there any other situations out there that we need to be keeping an eye on with regard to gender and evangelical church?
1: Yeah, I do think we need to be watching uh, to the things that you've mentioned already. I think just within the larger evangelical movement, we're seeing a lot of pressure right now and a lot of capitulation to that pressure to sort of trim our sails on the complementarian uh, egalitarian issue and to to try to find some sort of middle way that'll placate the culture. That's just always what the temptation is going to be. But you, you just have to remember that the the middle point between truth and error is an error. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, once you try to, if you, if you always try to placate to the culture, you're just going to be moving towards them. And you may be thinking of yourself as a moderate, that just means though you're just sort of moderately moving towards them. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in other words, we're, we're going to have to, my view is, is that Christians need to have the courage of their convictions. We need to stand on those convictions and we need to say what the Bible says. And if our convictions don't match what the Bible says, we should change our convictions to match what the Bible says, which means we should all be correctable and should all be uh, you know, able to be corrected when when necessary, but we need to have the courage of our convictions, and we don't need to constantly be trying to find the Aristotelian mean between us and the rest of the culture. That's always going to lead down a path of unfaithfulness. We have to remember that our true north is, is scripture, what it teaches, and anything other than that is going to lead to compromise. So that's what I'm watching in the larger um, evangelical movement right now. I see a lot of pressures, especially within some of the parachurch orbits um, in the parachurch orbits. You're seeing s- some movement there. Uh, you're, you are seeing some, some, some controversies within denominations themselves. Um, I don't know if you saw the Christian mission missionary, I think it was the Christian missionary Alliance that recently um, affirmed the acceptance of female pastors as, as a part of their denomination. Um, you've seen, um, you know, controversies within the PCA, and of course, the SBC. So there's some discussions there, but in larger evangelicalism, in those sort of parachurch um, partnerships that you see, um, I, I definitely see um, a struggle ahead.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, as the uh, Ryan Berge has pointed out, the uh, the scholar of religion, you know, non-denominationalism is really on the rise. And these churches have yeah. no strong confessional statements. Uh, so they can do whatever they want. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. It'll be very interesting to see what they do. Denny, thank you very much. I appreciate you joining again. This is Denny Burke, President of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. You can go to their website at cbmw.org. And also, again, don't uh, forget to hit the like button, hit the subscribe button here on YouTube, and sign up for my newsletter at aaronrenn.com. I will talk to you next week.